Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Eternal Leadership Podcast. And today we have on Jed Jurchenko. Jed, welcome to the podcast. John, thank you. It's an honor to be here. So here's the deal, everybody. Today we're going to talk about marriage. Here's what I'm finding is we have been in my home. It's been me, my wife, my three boys, my daughter-in-law, my grandson, and when you were together for this extended period of time, here's what I'm seeing both in my house, friends of mine that I'm having conversations with, is that it exposes a few of the little flaws and maybe cracks in the foundation. And friends of mine uh, who I know, it's not humorous, it's like somebody put, took dynamite to the foundation because some of the flaws and some of the cracks were so big they were being ignored. And here's what we want to try to do today. Here's my visual is think of a movie you're watching and like something just gets completely blown up and then they start playing the movie in reverse, right? And everything kind of comes back together and we got a nice healthy place. So here's what we're going to be trying to talk about today is with Jed is, Hey, how do we actually take some of the, maybe the challenges, the problems we have and actually use those to get to an amazing place to both just, I think, level up the love that we're bringing in the, into the world, the love that we're receiving and our marriage, especially, because I think this is a time where we can really focus on the marriage. And my wife and I have, uh, we've been married 30 years, have an incredible marriage. And I was even just sharing with Jeb before we started, this is even exposed to just a couple little things in our marriage that, Hey, you know what? We needed to have some needed conversations and talk about this. So Brad has been married for a long time. He is, uh, if you guys go to amazon.com, you have a, how many books have you written now, Jed? Yeah, I put out, I believe my 22nd journal. So keeps growing every year and it's really been a fun journey. Yeah, so 22nd Journal, and um, you guys can go to Jed Jurchenko. It's J-U-R-C-H-E-N-K-O.com. And your whole focus has been on, you know, in marriage, in addition to everything else that you do, and a lot of it is really centered around creating conversations. And I think that is so important to have conversate, meaningful conversations going on with our kids, with each other, with our friends. So I'd love for you to share just a little bit of your story and your journey. And we can dig into a couple things about, hey, how do we rewind the tape and get back to uh, some things we can do moving forward to that really strong foundation. Then, then that's how we level up, right? We get a strong foundation and then we can build what we want on top of that. Absolutely. I never would have imagined 20 years ago that I would have ended up here today consider myself the crash test dummy of relationships. <laughs> this is not the direction that I had pictured my life going. So I graduated from high school, um, went to seminary, graduated with a master's of divinity. I was a children's pastor, fell in love, got married, and realized I had no clue when it came to relationships. Now I thought I did, I thought I knew a lot because, you know, I went to seminary. So in my mind, I thought, man, if two people love God, if two people seem to be getting along well together, you've got everything going for you, right? Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden, I had this huge wake-up call, this aha moment where I realized, man, I just don't know what I don't know. Now, looking back, two decades later, I can see exactly how I got to where I was. 
I was homeschooled the last two and a half years of high school. And during that time, at least my era way back then, the purity movement was huge. And a book had just come out called I Kiss Dating Goodbye. And within our tiny homeschool co-op, we all bought into this idea that, man, you don't date because dating is a slippery slope. So even if you go out on a group date, you know, that's going to lead to going out individually, which is going to lead to holding hands, which is going to lead to kissing, which is going to lead to premarital sex, um, which is going to lead to making babies and just relationship disaster. And so the whole idea was that dating was this slippery slope. And if you got close to the edge, you would just pummel over. And so in high school, I didn't date at all. Um, I had no clue how to do a relationship. In fact, I remember one time asking a girl in our co-op to our high school formal, which was this deal where we would dress up, go to a fancy restaurant, have a nice meal together, and um, then go out and watch a play. She said yes. You know, she was beaming, I was beaming. I'm like, yes, we're going to sit together, just get a chance to hang out and chat. And then at this high school formal, she was gone. Like I saw her, but she was off in the distance. If I went over and said hi, you know, she said hi. And as soon as I looked away, she was out of there. Now, years later, I found out she, that she had told a couple other that, girls. It sounded a bit up. awkward, Jed. <laughs> it, was, it was awkward. I was like, what's wrong with me? You know, do I have bad breath? Is something wrong? Does she really not like me? You know, so I was kind of starting to get a little bit of a complex. Now, I found out years later that she was excited until she told some girls in the co-op and they said, oh, we don't do that here. Now, here's how this plays into my story. So what you're sharing is you were really raised with this, a very strict framework. And it sounds like what I'm hearing is that because of this framework uh, that you were raised in, it was really hard to actually develop um, good conversational skills, relational skills. Is that what you're saying? You are right on target. You know, I didn't know what to look for in a date. I didn't mm-hmm. know what a really good, healthy relationship looked like. I didn't know what red flags to look for. Um, so by the time I got into college, I didn't even know how to get a date. I didn't know how to ask somebody out. I didn't know how to express interest in a girl. Um, If things were kind of moving in the wrong direction or moving off track, I didn't know how to identify that nor how to steer it back on track. So when I met someone and fell in love, I found somebody who was just as clueless as I was and our relationship was an absolute disaster. Um, I'm gonna call it my great train wreck. It was messy. It was painful. It led to divorce. And that was my aha moment where I said, man, I've got to do something. I'm clueless when it's about clueless when it comes to relationships. And I need to take responsibility for this. And so that was my catalyst for going back to school, uh, studying marriage and family therapy, diving into every book I could read on dating relationships, um, how to do relationships well, 
from Christian books to secular books, because I said, man, I've got to figure this out. There's something that I'm just missing here. Well, you know, what were, you know, you said it was kind of your aha moment. What are, you know, looking back on it now, what were some of the big things revealed to you that, because I'm actually thinking, you know, right now that, I mean, there's so many people either right now, either their marriage is struggling or they're in a second marriage, you know, or they've just gotten into a relationship and all of a sudden I'm living with this person 24 seven, right? So there's a lot going on. I'm just wondering if you could pull a couple, maybe those big ahas out and we can say, okay, let's see where those fit in today. I have a couple ideas too. Yeah, absolutely. So as a marriage and family therapist, there's the college professor side of me, you know, that loves diving into the research. But my aha moment came from personal experience because I watched my homeschool friends go on, get married, and their relationships crash and burn one after the next, after the next. Mm. That some of my closest friends, people who were just geniuses, you know, acing every class, we had big dreams, we were gonna go out and change the world. I watched them go from one marriage to the next, to the next, just trying to figure things out. And then when mine crashed and burned too, I was like, wait, I'm right in there with them and I'm seeing a pattern. Now the sad and unfortunate side of this is, you know, the guy who wrote that book, I Kiss Dating Goodbye, Joshua Harris, um, he went on to later pull back from that message, say, you know, this isn't, really the direction I want to go. It's not what I believe in anymore. You know, sadly, his own marriage crashed and burned too. And um, nicest, nicest guy. I got to meet him once and um, just love his heart for people. But the message that we don't need to learn about relationships, the message that we're just going to fall in love and live happily ever after. And if you, you know, stay pure that's the number one thing. That's not working. There needs to be that relationship learning, that growth, that connection. And I believe you can do both. I believe you can date and stay pure and develop that quite, that um, relationship. It's not an either or. I think that was the big aha and the big takeaway. No, I, I agree with you on that. And you know, my wife and I, we've been married 30 years and we've definitely had some up and downs. And it was about seven years into our marriage uh, let's see, we were, we were brand new believers, Jed. Uh, we we kind of mm-hmm. came to faith later in life. But you know what I realized was just looking at how we were raised and some of the dynamics in the family. I know for me, I think this is where this tension was. I was looking to her to meet needs that I had, whether it was affirmations, whether whatever it happened to be. And what I found, I remember we sat down with a marriage counselor and one of the things that he did, he looked at me and goes, hey, John, if there's a problem in the marriage, you need to look in the mirror because it's who you are and how you're showing up. And he asked me, what's my goal for the marriage? I'm like, oh, I never thought about that before. He goes, do you want to have an amazing marriage that lasts your whole life? Or is it just about, you know, some of these needs that you have physically, emotionally, psychologically that you're looking to have met because you're, you're looking to have them met from the wrong place. And one of the things that he did, because you talk about conversations, because this is really 
what he did for us is he had us start reading books. Like you have so many books, amazing books, you know, 131 engaging conversations for couples, joyfully married conversations, you know, for family success. But here's what he had us do. Start reading books. He had to start with, if he only knew. But what he had us do, Jed, was read books together. This was part of our working with him. We would each read 10 pages, and then we'd talk about what we learned. And it was interesting in the beginning, I would read stuff and I'd say, hey, Donna, did you know that I would try to make a point of reading almost for her, the stuff I wanted her to take away. So you can see I was like in the, a pretty selfish place. Right. And, and he worked with us over time. It's like, no, you got to work on yourself. It's like he described it as like this triangle, right? You have Christ at the top and you two are at the bottom pieces of this triangle, bottom left and right. And let's just say right now, it feels like none of these circles are really overlapping very well. And as you work on yourself and you work on your faith, you move up the sides of this triangle and all of a sudden these circles start to overlap. And I think that you know, really, I think working on who I was and she worked on who she was, but what reading those books and having those things, we did it for years and we still, it led to great conversations. We got to a place where it was safe to share some feedback. Hey, when you do this, this is how I feel. And it's really bumming me out. And this could just totally be me, my lens, my filter, but I really want to share this with you. And we got to the place where instead of reacting or being defensive or even sharing feelings, and that happens, I think, a lot, turns into an argument. You actually have somebody that validates that. You might be, many times I was just wrong, misinterpreted a situation. But we got to, we developed, and it took a while to be able to have a conversation where we were both listening from a place of learning, curiosity versus a place of either judgment or being defensive. So conversations are just absolutely foundational, I think, to making progress in a marriage. John, I absolutely love that. And I love what you said. Because that's what I see so often in couples is if couples do go to therapy, it really isn't with the idea that we're going to make our relationship better. It's with the idea of, well, I'm going to get the therapist on my side. I'm going to convince my spouse that he or she needs to change and that's going to make the relationship better. Yeah. I'm just going to tell on myself. I absolutely used to do that. How can I, when I'm in the room with this other person, share this in a way that they would look at Donna and go, Hey lady, you need to change. Right. I mean, it was manipulative, but you can see that, you know, I think what happens is you kind of get to a small place, right? And we were new believers at the time. But you know what it really takes to, I think, to mature in relationships? Well, let me ask you this. You know, as you, if you've worked with people, right? And you maybe see that shift where people are, instead of focusing on trying to be right or prove the other person wrong because, for whatever reason, where does that come from? Yeah, I think it comes from our desire not to take responsibility. Mm. You know, we want to make our spouse wrong to make ourselves right. For me, that big shift came when I said, okay, I'm going to take 100% responsibility for the things that I can. And for a lot of couples, that's not taking 100% responsibility for making it a wonderful relationship. It's going to take two people to make that happen. But you can do 
exactly what you and I did, which is I'm going to take 100% responsibility for my own learning. I'm going to read the relationship books. I'm going to dive into the conversations. I'm going to ask the open-ended questions and get curious and offer my spouse my full undivided attention, whether she takes it or not. And really having that mindset shift of man, reaching out is a win. And that's something I had to learn to do. Now, I love Jenny because she almost always reaches back whenever I reach out. And that's a key quality of just a happy relationship, something found in John Gottman's research that um, happy couples have what he calls good repair attempts. One person reaches out and the other person reaches back. So a good example of that is I take Jenny's hand and she closes her fingers around mine. I sit down next to her to connect and she turns and looks at me. But if that's not your relationship, just making that mindset shift of, man, reaching is a win. If I take Jenny's hand and she pulls away, I did what I could do. I reached out and I tried. And yes, it hurts that she pulled away and I'm building this up into my head of there's something wrong with me. This is, but it's making that mindset shift of yes, I did my part. I took 100% responsibility. I reached out. It didn't work this time. I'm going to give it a break and I'm going to reach out again. So people listening right now, if you're that person that feels like you made that attempt and it was not received well, right? Like, hey, I did it. You know, you have a choice in that moment to almost say, okay, is this, am I looking at this as proof that this narrative that's in my head that could be totally wrong, right, is now is justified, right? That's almost from a, a fixed mindset, a judgment mindset. Or I can say, you know what, there's more work I need to do because guess what? Maybe she doesn't feel safe, is what I had to realize, to actually mm. maybe even share some feedback from me because either I would get angry or I'd get defensive or it would, I would turn it into an argument sometimes because I wanted to be right. Uh, how do we make that mindset shift? Because I know that that's been really helpful for us. Yeah. You know, and I think part of it is realizing that man, if you're the one reaching, you've got so much going for you. There is so much on your side. So diving into just some of the brain research, one of the things that we know is that it's part of our brain, this anterior cingulate, it lights up when we experience physical pain. It also lights up when we experience emotional pain. And man, it hurts to be disconnected from somebody we love. You know, it's painful you know, almost physically painful to not be close to somebody that we want to be close to. So if you're rejected once, know that we're designed for connection. There's something in your spouse that's longing to connect. And part of it might be finding that barrier, but part of it might just be continuing to reach out and know that biology is on your side. There's something within that person that says, I want to be connected. Does that make sense? It makes complete sense. And, you know, part of it too, I think, is also realizing, I think the part for me was to, I think, acknowledge that, you know, even though you might have been married for a long time, right? There's a lot of us still, I mean, 30 years into this, right? I am still learning stuff about my wife. Mm, and there that. is stuff in her, in her, I mean, think about, 
it almost comes from a, a clash of identities, right? Our identity comes from, right, all of our life experiences put together, our values, our beliefs about ourselves, about others, uh, things that people have said to us, times maybe when we've really felt good about ourselves, things that have caused us pain. And you have no idea, you know, uh, even a relationship seven, ten years in, you could be doing something in a way that causes somebody to react defensively because they've had, they've had experiences maybe that you're not even aware of or they really even haven't fully shared before your marriage, maybe with other people, with their own family, that is coloring how they're viewing you or that situation. And sometimes they're not even aware of it, are they? No, and that's so right on. You know, so a lot of the disconnect that happens in relationships, it's not even about us. It may be a trigger from our spouse's past. The phrase I use is iceberg issues. You know, you've seen the picture of the iceberg where just the tip's showing and there's so much below the surface. And a lot of times we take rejection personally, saying there's something wrong with me. Well, really, this could be our spouse's iceberg issue. Like you said, there's years of history, um, years of other stuff that are going into it that we're not even aware of. And so if we can make that mindset shift and say, oh, this might not be about me. I'm willing to examine myself if it is, but this could be his iceberg issue. This could be her iceberg issue. And so we're going to give it time and then we're going to dive into conversation about it and ask about it. A lot of times just getting curious. Yeah. And, you know, you said before, you know, personal responsibility, I think here's some things that I had to do. And this was, this was definitely a process, right? If I kind of look at the whole sequence of events that kind of incorporates a lot of things we've been talking about, right? There's some kind of event that happens, right? Maybe I say something and Donna sighs and rolls her eyes. Mm. Okay. Now I have a choice right in that moment to say, okay, she thinks I'm an idiot or she doesn't respect me or what I found out when I asked later when this happened, right? It was the person that I mentioned she's not a fan of, right? It had nothing to do with what I was talking about at the time. But whatever it happens in our world, right? There's this, an event, a, a cue, a trigger. So immediately we have a thought, right? Oh, she disrespects me. What does that lead? A feeling, right? Well, anger, right? And then out of that feeling, we choose an action and we choose words. And what I had to start doing, Jed, is go back and say, okay, I really want an amazing marriage, right? We've been married 30 years. As a matter of fact, my wife and I were talking last night. It was like, okay, we've been married 30 years. I'm 53 years old. This is like halftime. This quarantine for us has been like halftime. We got to use this as a time like we're in the locker room. Let's figure out what we did well, what we didn't do well in the first half. And let's just go out of this and just dominate in the second half of our lives and our marriage. What are some of the things that we need to do that? And what I've had to do in the past is the sequence, right? This thought, this feeling in this action. I say, okay, that action that I took in that moment with her, it didn't turn out well. So guess what? Something like that is going to happen again, right? She's going to either be having a, a bad day. She's going to be frustrated. She's going to be short with me. I have a choice. So I had to actually start writing this stuff down and say, okay, if that does happen again, what do I want to think? What I want to think immediately is that, you know what, this is an opportunity for us to grow closer. 
because I always have this goal, right? How do I want to feel? Instead of angry, I want to feel like I just love her unconditionally and I just see the beauty and the sweetness in her. And what if I took an action from that place, regardless of the circumstances versus anger or frustration, it's going to be a totally different conversation. Then I can get a different outcome. But in what I found for myself is if I didn't intentionally maybe even write some of those things down and almost pre-experience it, because a lot of these bad things, you know, bad reactions had become habits for me. Anger was something I really have had to work on for a long time. And it was slowly over time by focusing on this, I was able to, in most cases, show up differently. And then when I didn't show up differently and I did make a mistake, though, I also had to actually learn how to apologize. (laughs) And you said a couple things that I think are super profound. I love that mindset shift. This is an opportunity. And that's something that took me a while to learn. And it's funny because as you shared that story, I'm like, oh, we had the exact same issue, Jenny and I, in our relationship. You know, for me, it was sighing. And I know exactly how I fell into that pattern. I was teaching um, 52-week domestic violence classes at the time. And so the number one strategy for cooling off was simply taking a big, deep breath. And I was teaching this to men in domestic violence classes. I was teaching this to kids, you know, using things like a bubble wand and a pinwheel. And so I was spending my day teaching people to breathe deeply. So Jenny would say something that stressed me out. I wasn't mad at her, wasn't upset with her. I was just a little bit stressed. So I did what I taught my guys to do, what I taught my kids to do. And I... And Jenny took it as Jed sighing at me. He's upset with me. I did something wrong. And, you know, I explained it to her. That I told led her, the conflict, didn't it? <laughs> but it shouldn't have, because I told her, Jenny, it's not about you. I'm just taking a big, deep breath. Can you guess how well that worked? Yeah, well, that didn't help. That's going to take a much deeper conversation. It also needs us to be open to feedback. Like, hey, if this is my, you know, something I do to kind of cope, but this is how it continually affects you. Once again, I have a choice to say, okay, well, she's wrong. She needs to change. Or guess what? Maybe we need to meet in the middle. Or if this is something that really bothers her, I might need to do something different if I really want this relationship to improve, right? So once again, it's back to personal responsibility, isn't it? And being open to feedback because feedback is hard, especially in a marriage when you really are so close because some, you know, there's some of that feedback, you know, we agree with it, right? Like, hey, you're awesome. Okay, yeah, you are right. Thank you, honey. Or hey, you know, that one thing you do that kind of bothers me. Okay, well, I don't really like that feedback, but I get it. So I'm going to act on it. The hard thing is for me that I've had to work on is, and I, you know, anybody listening, you can just say on a scale of one to 10, 10 being you're awesome at this one, it makes you just ornery as I'll get out, is what happens when you get feedback you don't agree with? Feedback that is just counter to how you see yourself or your identity. In what I have come to, I guess, My perspective on this is that all 
and I do mean all, personal feedback is relevant because there's very few people in my life that are either manipulative or giving me feedback to try to be hurtful. But if somebody is giving me feedback, even if I completely disagree with it, I have to acknowledge that, you know what that is, how that person is maybe experiencing me. And it could be totally the differences between who I am, who they are, their experiences, whether it's my wife of 30 years or somebody who's a new friend. And now it doesn't mean I always need to make a change or act on it, but I am going to look at it and consider it and process it and say, okay, for this person, is that behavior, that action, that body language, is it something maybe I need to you know, be more aware of if I really care about the person in building a relationship, right? If I want to level up the amount of love that I not only give and then, but also I'm able to receive. John, you've got so much wisdom because that's what I finally figured out. It was the, I can't change Jenny's perception of my size. I thought I could, I tried, and I remember it wasn't working. And the last time I did it, I saw her face drop. And my first words out of my mouth were, honey, I'm sorry. I'm working on this. I said, I can't change her perception of my size, but I can stop doing that. And that's the easiest way to solve this issue is not to keep it going on and on, but to take responsibility for the stuff that I can take responsibility for. So I think you're absolutely right on. In fact, that we do, we've always got a choice. Yeah, we always have a choice. And here, I, I want to share something. My uh, good friend of mine and mentor of mine, Ford Taylor, he founded Transformational Leadership. And he teaches a lot of what we're talking about in his course. It's been incredibly mm-hmm. helpful to me. But one of the things that he taught, and I'd never seen it before, is actually how to give a healthy apology. I'd never seen a framework for that before. He calls it the six-step apology. And let me go through that with people because this was actually transformative for me. So the first one is, step one is state the offense. Hey, you know what, hun? I did that. You came to share with me and I reacted and got defensive. And we talked about that, you know, I wasn't going to do that. And you know what? Number two, admit that was wrong. And so I'd say, you know, hey, you know, honey, that was wrong of me. And then you apologize and say, hey, I am sorry. And if you don't like the word sorry, just say, hey, I apologize. And if you note in these first three steps, there's not an explanation of the behavior. Mm. This is me owning it. Hey, you know, I did that because, and a lot of times in the past, I would try to give an explanation that would almost make her wrong, right? I did this because, hon, you do this and you do this and you do this. I just want you to know this is just how I tend to react to that. That's not me taking ownership, if that makes sense. Then number four was this, and, and is ask if they can forgive me or when they can, can you forgive me? Because guess what? I used to see early on when we would have conflict is I would apologize as this was a transaction. I'm not really comfortable with conflict. Um, I think that's my anger oftentimes would come from a place of frustration because I didn't like conflict. But what I realized is, guess what? I might have really hurt them with what I said or how I reacted. I might have really bothered them. But if I say, hey, you know, can you forgive me? Or when you can, can you forgive me? That gives them permission to process. It's not like, hey, you know, maybe you've ever done this, Jed, right? Hey, honey, I 
you're bringing that up again. I apologize for that this morning. Seriously, right? That doesn't go anywhere. And then guess what though? And this is that step four is ask if they can forgive you. Step five is then guess what? Ask for accountability. Mm-hmm. Hey, honey, I give you permission in the future if you see me start reacting like this to say something. And then you know what? We got to the place where she would, we would have some great conversations. She goes, I don't feel comfortable asking or holding you accountable because I'm afraid that's going to cause a reaction. I'm like, oh, that's some tough feedback to hear, but thank you. And then step six, <laughs> I would only say this if you're in a place that you are really open to listening and guys out there listening, just remember your wife remembers everything you ever said. And even if you met recently, they know everything you said even before they met you because everything is on social media. And so that's ask for this. Number six, hey, is there anything else? Mm. That can lead to some, yeah, as a matter of fact, now that if you've handled it really well um, and you ask for is there anything else and somebody shares with you, you have to acknowledge you have to ask questions, you have to listen, you have to not be defensive, or next time they're not going to be open to doing that. And what I also found is if I got to that point and I asked if there was anything else, and she's like, nope, nope, we're good. That mean that maybe she just really didn't feel comfortable and I have more work to do myself. Or sometimes it was like, no, I've really done a good job and no, we're, we're good, there is nothing else. But I had to figure out kind of how to discern that Because I knew I had to be the best person I could be. I'm still working on it. I do not have any of the stuff mastered. I'm just just putting that out there right now. But I got to tell you, just using that as a framework to apologize, whether it's a coworker, a boss, a peer, your kids. I've used this with my kids a lot, too much, my wife. And I got to tell you, it can change the relationship and the dynamic pretty quickly. So I love that. I'm right there with you with the, I'm still learning, still working on it, still growing. I've never heard that six-part process before. I think one of the things that I like most from the first time hearing it is just how it takes everything and slows it down. Mm -hmm. I know for me and a lot of couples, just slowing down is key. You know, it's so easy to get into panic mode. And our brains are wired that way. There's the amygdala, that fight, flight, or freeze emergency response system that lights up when there's conflict in our relationship. Those relationships are so important. And so it doesn't take a whole lot for couples to enter into panic mode. And the interesting thing that I've learned about the amygdala is it takes some time to turn off. So it's almost connected to that frontal cortex, that thinking part of our brain almost like a light switch. So the amygdala turns on, the frontal cortex turns off, which is why when things get heated, it's so easy to do ridiculous stuff. You know, if you've ever been in an argument and you've said something that was just stupid and you look back on it two hours later and you're like, why did that come out of my mouth? Probably that's why that fight, flight, or freeze mechanism turns on, your thinking brain turns off, and then it just comes out. Well, you know, you, you bring up a really good point, um, that thinking brain. You know what? When we move into a place of anger and our brain floods with epinephrine and norepinephrine, right? these fight-or-flight chemicals, 
I want people to realize this, right? We go from a normal big size brain to a little pea sized brain, mm-hmm. right? Because your brain is doing this intentionally so that it can use its resources in this fight or flight mode, which also means that in the moment you're, here's how I think of myself when I'm angry, I'm stupid. And I'm going to probably mm-hmm. say stupid things. And I probably don't mean it. And guess what? You can play, say some really hurtful things. So I have had to work and recognize, okay, I'm feeling angry. I feel a tightness in my chest. I feel this. You know what? Hey, time out. We need to not have this conversation right now. I've had to figure out ways to change that thought that led to that feeling because a lot of time for me, it was a habit. And also when that thinking brain is also shut down, uh, what I've come to learn and love your thoughts because you've studied this, right? You might say some things and literally not remember it because that also, when that epinephrine's in your brain, it affects your short-term memory. So you might be calming down and having a conversation and share with somebody, well, you said this and it was really hurtful. And they're like, well, I never said that. Or I didn't say it that way. They might absolutely, that could be their, how they remember it. So we also have to realize that our memory is different when we are, really in kind of full-on anger. And the best thing we can do in that situation, even if the other person does get angry, is not let ourselves get angry. Easier said than done sometimes. But it is something that you can work on and improve on. Absolutely. Well, and the piece that I would add to that is it takes our thinking brain a lot longer to get up and fully engaged than we realize. And that's why I love about your six part um, forgiveness statement is that you include that or when you can forgive me. Because if you're having that conversation and your partner's thinking brain isn't fully engaged, it might be a, there's no way I can forgive you. I'm never going to forgive you. Yeah. 30 minutes later, when that thinking brain's engaged and is kicking on, it's of course I'm going to forgive them, obviously. And so you almost give that out, that out of, man, if you're in that mode where you need some time, be it 30 minutes, be it an hour, be it a day, I'm going to give that to you. I'm not going anywhere. We're going to be patient. We're going to make it through it. I'm hopeful. And I know we're going to forgive on the other side. And we don't have to resolve everything right now and tie it up with that nice, neat little bow, which I'm right there with you, which is, I want the peace. I want to get back to this is done and we're moving forward but it's okay to live in that tension a little bit. And that's something that I'm learning. Yeah, I know. I love that. And here's, let me just share one more thing that's really helped me out and then we'll have to wrap up um, because it was a few years ago when I had my accident and I didn't mm-hmm. know if I was going to survive. And I remember at one point thinking, Hey, the next weekend's going to be my funeral. What's everybody going to say? Like I was kind of playing the movie. And as I recovered through that, one of the things that I did is actually write down that obituary, that eulogy that I want my wife to say, my kids to say, my friends, the people around me. And the one that I wrote that I want my wife to say, which is really my guiding light for my goal for our marriage, I have not shared with her, but I've shared it with some of my closest friends. Like one of my statements in there is that every day I want her to feel like the most loved woman in the world. And my friends check in with me, Jed. And like, I remember this is about a month ago, a friend of mine called me and goes, we're sitting there chatting. And then he goes, oh, by the way, does Donna feel like the most loved woman in the world today? <laughs> I'm like, uh, let me call you back. 
<laughs> but I, you know, I think sometimes just, I got to tell you for me, writing that down, what I really want that to look like helps me in those moments when I do get angry or I'm getting feedback I don't like, or I know that I need to take some ownership here and make some personal changes. I'm like, well, you know what? This is going to help me get to that because I know, because it, you know, marriage, 30 years, it takes a lot of work. And, you know, you got your ups and downs. It's not, you know, you don't just kind of figure it out, right? It's every, it's, life is constantly happening to us. So, but, okay, so guys, Jed Jurchenko, you can go to his website, some fantastic books on Amazon about how to have these conversations, frameworks, conversation starters, because I think actually just having more meaningful conversations is just so healthy. So just as we wrap up, Jed, just any final thoughts from you? Yeah, I think I just want to leave people with thought of keep going and take responsibility for what you can take responsibility for. You know, with COVID, with families being together, many families being together more often than ever before, stuff is going to bubble to the surface. So one of the things that you can take responsibility for is just extending more grace, being more patient. That stress is going to rise, tension is going to rise. And if it does in your home, congratulations, you're normal. And it's, like you said, a great opportunity to extend grace and to keep growing. John, it was awesome being here. And thank you so much for having me on the show. Yeah, thanks for being here. What a great conversation. I mean, this is just a conversation we need to have more of. Because uh, I think, uh, you know, a time like this, this is a, a great opportunity. Our marriages, um, the amount of love we have in our life, you know, through any time of adversity in my experience, right? Nothing stays the same. The choices that we make and what we do during a time like this, it's either going to get stronger and get better or it's going to go backwards. And so if we just acknowledge and say, okay, what would better look like? Even if it's just whatever on a scale of one to 10, you'd rate your marriage right now. Even if it's low on that scale, I'm kind of a simple guy. So I'd just say for my, anybody listening, hey, what does a plus one look like? Mm. Over the next couple of weeks, what is just, if I went from a three to a four, what would I have to do to just move it a little bit? Or maybe you think it's an eight right now. Eight's pretty awesome, but hey, what would a nine look like? What would it mean? How would I know? Maybe even just share that with your wife. But anyway, thank you for a great conversation. I think this is just so helpful for folks right now, and I appreciate it, Jed. John, I sure appreciate you. Thank you. <laughs>